Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I get to talk with Jessica Nastel, one of the friendliest, most genuine people I know. I met Jessica in Savannah, Georgia at the 2013 CWPA conference, and we've stayed in touch over the years. Her passion for teaching at her two-year college, her work on writing assessment and placement, and her support for her students and colleagues is inspiring. You know, one thing I really admire about our conversations is how we always talk about our kids. That's usually the first thing we talk about. She's always interested in Rose and Elle, my two-year-old and nine-month-old, and I always want to hear about Elise, her almost four-year-old. Jessica is someone I really look up to as a teacher, researcher, and person. She's a friend and I'm so excited she agreed to be on the podcast. I'm always looking to talk with people, meet new teachers, and hear more about different pedagogies, writing practices, and what teaching looks like in different institutional contexts. So please, if you're interested in contributing to the podcast, go to the website and fill out the contact form at pedagogpodcast.com. Again, that's pedagogpodcast.com. Jessica Nastel is an associate professor and department chair at Prairie State College, where her teaching in Composition 1 and 2 influences her research in writing assessment, work on accreditation, and participation in statewide placement reform efforts. Her article, Beyond Tradition, was published as part of a special issue dedicated to writing assessment, placement, and the two-year college in the Journal of Writing Assessment. Jessica serves as developmental editor for the Journal of Writing Analytics. In this episode, we talk about teaching at a two-year college, how her institutional context has shaped her values as a teacher. We talk about retention rates and her research on writing placement. Jessica, thanks for joining us. How about we start with your institutional context, teaching at Prairie State College, a community college in the south suburbs of Chicago. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your institutional context and your students? Shane, I am delighted to talk about this, and I'm so excited uh, that you've asked me. So this kind of goes into like why I'm a teacher. So I pursued my PhD to teach at a community college, and the classes I'm teaching are English 101 and 102, so Comp 1 and 2, and that was on purpose. <laughs> when I, I kind of wanted to get to know the field of rhetoric and composition like through my PhD and then be able to put what I had learned into practice. I am just delighted to be able to do it. Prairie State College is a predominantly Black institution and an emerging Hispanic-serving institution. So we're about 55% Black uh, and then about 20% Hispanic Latinx and 20% White. Most of our students are also middle class. Two-thirds of the students are Pell eligible. We also have a lot of early college initiative students as well as returning adults. So I love the diversity. The, uh, the Illinois Community College Board says that we have the most geographically, socioeconomically, and racially diverse districts. Can you talk about how this influences your teaching or what it does to your teaching, perhaps even the resources and materials that you use in the classroom? This semester, I'm teaching three classes. 
and I have reassigned time for, I'm department chair this year, and then I have an overload for a, a special project I'm doing on student success. So our contract for full-time faculty is five courses a semester for full-time load. And then if you teach two composition classes, then that load gets reduced to four. The online classes are capped at 24. And then the English, like composition one and two, those are capped at 22. Developmental English classes are capped at 18. So how all of this affects how I teach writing or my approach is basically, I just want to have fun with my students. And I am trying to implement a little bit of a writing about writing approach, but I'm not totally there. I like the idea of using this class as an introduction to writing studies. And the reason I like it is because it's the best way for me to be able to kind of structure for students a space where I can help them understand how we can use our individual experiences and beliefs to inform whatever kind of work we do and whatever connections we're making with other people. Personally, one of my approaches also is like is, is that connection with my students. So I grew up on the South side of Chicago and moved to the suburbs. I grew up in a working class family. Most of my family, like before my generation did not go to college. I can relate to some of the concerns that my students have. And I think the thing that they find most fun is that uh, I hated composition as an undergraduate. So kind of using like the experiences that I had growing up and struggles I've had with writing um, and then kind of the realization I had that writing can be something, writing is something that does something, like it can be a, a force for positive action. And then helping my students understand that it's a, it's a real privilege. This semester, I've, I blew everything up. Um, <laughs> the past couple of years, I had a lot of reassigned time for work in assessment and accreditation. And I was still doing like the work that I loved. But over the summer, I had more space to think about how I want to redesign the classes. So in the past, I had focused a lot on response to student writing. So students in both Comp 1 and Comp 2 would, we'd have some shared readings on kind of controversies in the field of writing assessment in particular. Um, which is my background. So things like automated writing evaluation, whether to use rubrics and kind of like language policies. And that was really fun. And students found a lot of entries like to the discussion, but I just, we're, <laughs> we're in teaching. Like I always want to challenge myself to do something new and to, to learn more and apply what I'm learning from colleagues into the classroom. So this year I'm teaching kind of a contextualized English 101 class where I'm trying to bring in some principles of professional and technical writing into our English 101, which uses the WPA outcome statement and the framework for success um, in post-secondary writing as the foundation. And then in English 102, where our Comp 2 research class, the research parameters I'm using are the submission guidelines for Queen City writers. And so the goal is that some students would continue working on their projects for publication. As a result of that requirement, the Queen City Writers submissions really focuses on like cutting edge, innovative stuff, um, writing that take, takes risks. And so I was then challenged to bring in some of the most recent and kind of most exciting scholarship in our field. Some of the things that we're reading this semester are some of Asia Martinez's work, some scholarship from the journal Young Scholars in Writing and Queen City writers. It's a challenge for me because I don't really, I don't really know what I think about some of the stuff like articles from spring 2019. I haven't had a lot of time to think about them, but 
I'm excited to hear what other people are thinking. Um, and so this makes the class dynamic for me. And it, I think it helps my students because they see, you know, my passion for the field and my respect for them and treating them like scholars. So this is really fascinating. It kind of sounds like your composition classroom takes a different shape than perhaps other first year writing classrooms. You know, it almost sounds like your classroom functions more like an introduction to writing and rhetoric and an introduction to composition studies and perhaps theory, maybe more like a seminar class. So one thing that students do comment on is that they appreciate like this, I guess the scaffolding, but it's not just that it's, um, it's, it's really like a, like a seminar, you know? So I, I, in my syllabus for the composition two classes this semester, I told them that it will function as a research seminar in rhetoric and composition slash writing studies, even with like English 101, you know, there's like different modules or different units and everything is related when I've been doing the response to student writing, it was all connected to the same theme. And so students were able to see how the ideas built on each other within the units and then across the semester or across the, the session. And in the middle of it, they hated it <laughs> because it felt uh, it felt kind of redundant, especially for people who are not interested in pursuing this this field that I just discovered as a graduate student, you know. But by the end of it, overwhelmingly, like kind of unprompted too, students will say how they started to see how things fit together and they appreciated that structure. And the reason I do it like that is because I, I think that it provides students with a lot of structure and foundation, but I've seen their writing grow tremendously. I guess the other reason that I said that I chose responsive student writing because this is where my research is, and that's true, but it's because of the experiences that I've had as a student as, and that my students have had. Like We can all think of some of the best feedback we've ever had and how it made us feel, and some of the worst feedback we've had and how that made us feel. And I, I'm trying to encourage students to, you know, to think critically about that and about their role in their education and how how they can change things like and that doesn't have to be within the field of education or writing studies but they can you know like be more of an active participant in their own education like if they don't like the way someone makes them feel they can have a productive conversation about that or they can think about why why they felt badly so this is why I also think it's such a privilege because it's like in what other space could I you know like try to suggest a way that I think maybe could help them have a better life. Like that's kind of presumptuous almost of me to, to think that way. But um, I don't know. It's something I'm really, I really am struggling with. I'm really interested in your path to teaching and how you sort of came to be where you are. You graduated with your PhD from UW-Milwaukee, and then you taught at a public research university in the Deep South before moving to Prairie State, a two-year college in the south suburbs of Chicago. I think I'm interested in this because of how each institutional context seems so different, geographically, but also in student population and what that does and means for teaching. How has your teaching changed? Have your values as a teacher changed? Thanks for asking about, about this um, and focusing it on, on values. So I have a bachelor's and master's degree from Jesuit institutions, and I identify as a recovering Catholic. So, um, But 
I just, I, I love the education I received, especially at Loyola for my undergrad. And I really believe strongly in their mission of educating the whole person. And that was reaffirmed in my, my PhD program by my advisors who encouraged me to be a whole person in the classroom. My values certainly haven't changed and my teaching hasn't, which is my experience at the university was, it was great. I learned a lot, uh, but it was not a good fit for me. And this, this is. So there I had, I did have a lot, I had a really great opportunity to work with students who are majors in writing. So that was just, that was wild. It was so fun. I got to have such great conversations with my students. I was able to teach an introduction to writing studies class, a a writing pedagogy class, a writing for publication class. It was really exciting. I had never like envisioned that for myself. Coming here, uh, you know, it's home. So there's that. But I think that my students, they trust me. Maybe not at first because it's like, you know, I I don't look like most of my students. They know I'm here because I want to be here. And I don't know, there's like, you know, the Midwestern kind of of way of living. Here, I I guess I feel a little bit more like I can understand my students more easily. So then I'm able to push them differently because I'm more comfortable. Like our overall institutional retention rate is is about average. Um, it's about 50% for full-time students um, and like just under 40% for part-time students. So that's on par with our comparison group, which is also, you know, terrible. <laughs> but our transfer rate is is great. Uh, our transfer out rate is like 40%. We have some very clearly defined articulation agreements with some of the area universities, both in Illinois um, and Northwest Indiana. We're really close to Northwest Indiana. And our transfer advisor does excellent work, but our graduation rate is only 10%. So it's we're, this is like part of our institutional um, strategic plan, like part of every plan is trying to figure out how can we get more students to graduation. Of course, this is, I think every two-year colleges struggle. Uh, Patrick Sullivan has written about like what success means at a community college. We know that students aren't here necessarily to get an associates. They're taking some classes, maybe coming part-time, which means like one class a semester for many, many years because they're working full-time or working three jobs. But the institution certainly wants to, to try to improve their retention, persistence, and success rates. I would like to take some time to talk about writing placement. And I think given your institutional context, what writing placement is and does at the community college level, I would encourage everyone to read Beyond Tradition, a phenomenal article you wrote for the special issue in the Journal of Writing Assessment. Do you mind talking about writing placement at Prairie State College and what you've been thinking about here recently in terms of writing placement? So we recently redesigned our placement practice. And what we are currently doing is, and we had to because we had been using Compass and then ACT phased Compass out. So we had been using Compass reading scores combined with a kind of a typical like argumentative prompt that was designed and read by English instructors at Prairie State College. What we are doing now is students are reading one of a couple articles that our literacy expert has vetted, and then they're asked to annotate it, write a short summary of it, and then write an essay. And then the readers give students um, a placement like 98, 99, or 101 for each of the three areas. And if they're, I think it's, if they get two out of three in a 101 placement, then they're placed in a 101. But if their essay placement is 101, then that trumps the other, the annotation score or the summary score, because 
we realized that, especially for annotations for strong students, they might skip that step. So that's how our placement system is working. But at the state level, we have our Illinois Community College Board has implemented a set of recommendations for placement that they're calling multiple measures, but it's really multiple single measures. So if a student brings in any of this list of options, they can enroll directly into the English 101 class. The methods include like an SAT score, ACT score, um, a GED score, and then a high school GPA of 3.0 or higher in general. And then the, the recommendations are different for math. If a student has any one of those things, then they don't have to take the placement test. And so right now we're conducting some studies to determine how that's going to affect our enrollment. And we're wondering if if we might instead actually kind of follow what Maya Poe, uh, Norbert Elliott, and I wrote about in the roadmap. If this is the way the state is heading, there was also legislation that was proposed to reform placement and developmental education with an eye toward significantly decreasing developmental education. So it's like, if this is already where the state is headed, this might be a good opportunity for us to eliminate placement and do that dramatic re-envisioning of what kinds of opportunity structures um, and support we can provide for students and faculty. You know, writing placement can take a lot of different forms and there's a lot of different conversations around placement. You just mentioned one part of the conversation. Should we eliminate placement altogether? This seems like an ongoing conversation and it's nothing new. Questions like, what writing placement model should we use? Should these models be formed locally? How do we create models that complement local values? What do we do about state testing and placement? Should placement be self-directed? There's a lot of questions. And now is a really good time to talk about writing placement, perhaps given our social and political climate and our educational policies and structures. So I'd like to end with this question. Do you mind talking about your research and your thoughts and feelings on writing assessment and writing placement? So... I really feel very unsettled about writing placement. I kind of always have. And the study in Beyond Tradition, I guess, crystallized it for me. So some of the results that stood out were like the correlations between the grade that a student earned in, a, in one of the composition classes and their overall GPA. Those correlations rose throughout the sequence. So they were lower in the lowest level developmental English class. They rose in, in the mid-level class. And then they reached high positive correlation in, in composition one. So it looks like the correlations between a student's grade in the in the composition class and their GPA overall, that those increased. So it's it seems like we, you know, did a pretty good job placing students where they needed to be. But as that happened, the group of students became more homogenous. It became it became more white. When we re when we saw this information, it confirmed um, some of the research that's been done nationwide, and it really troubled our institution, our faculty and administrators, um, and and the staff who work in the placement testing um, office. We saw things like big gaps, like big moments of loss in between the students who started the lowest level developmental class and passed it. There was a big gap between those who passed that lowest level class and even started the next one. And then a big loss within the, the college level English 101 class. So for instance, our Hispanic Latinx population did really well in passing the lowest level class. Three quarters, 76% did. But then there was a 40% loss of the, the students who succeeded. They did not continue to the next class in the sequence. And then by the time the group of Hispanic Latinx students 
who started at 98, the lowest level class that went to the college level, only 56% passed that English 101 compared to 82% of our white students. So for our black students as a predominantly black institution, our black students were overrepresented in the sample um, in the developmental classes. The lowest level developmental class was like 80% Black or African American. And 91% of those students who started that class did not pass English 101. As a department, my colleague Jason Evans has published on how the department has tried to reform our curriculum countless times. This is a department of teacher scholars who are really committed to our student body, to working at a community college. We believe in the mission of access to education. And so like we're always trying to revise the placement method. Um, our curriculum, I guess the entire composition sequence. To then find these results, we, it, it was horrifying. So this is why I feel conflicted about placement, because I, I do believe that we need to radically re-envision it. You had asked earlier about like some of the resources that I draw on, and Norbert Elliott's work here, Maya Poe, Christy Toth, they have certainly influenced my ideas. Rich Haswell and Norbert Elliott wrote an article about innovation. I think that we radically need to reimagine what we're doing. But I'm also really hesitant or I guess nervous because two main reasons. One is that access to education. If we eliminate placement or try to ensure, I mean, I guess like the movement right now is to ensure that as many people as possible experience the college level class as soon as possible within the first semester of the first year. And so some states and some institutions have gone to eliminate placement or um, and, and enroll everyone in the English 101 or are doing a lot of like uh, the ALP models. So like co-requisite 99 or 101. But I think our fear is are we uh, advancing access to education and opportunity to learn, or are we restricting that access? For at our, our institution at Prairie State College, we have been canceling that lowest level developmental English class. Very few students place into it. And so like in the spring, for instance, we canceled it. But what if there's so few students who are placing into it or who are enrolling in it like for the fall? We were wondering, even if it were under the the minimum student threshold, should we still offer it? Because if we don't, where do those students go? If they go over to Adult Basic Ed, which offers free non-credit classes, how do they then come back over to the credit side? And if the community college is supposed to be, it's supposed to be for everybody, then is this going to change our mission? Like, are we going to change like who we're including and excluding? And so, I don't know, I'm really torn. Thank you so much, Jessica. Those are some really good questions to ask and conversations to have in our institutional context about writing placement and what writing placement is and does. Thank you for spending some time talking with us. Thank you for doing these interviews and for your thoughtfulness.